We are back. Pete and Terry's Tavern. Willie Donick, Chase McCabe here with you. Don't forget to make your picks now off three college football underdog teams you think are going to win outright on Saturday. No points for a cover. Weekly winners win a pair of tickets to an upcoming Nashville sporting event or concert. Silly underdog picks presented by Volunteer Hose and Gasket. Thursday, the guys will make their picks. Just go to thegamenashville.com or the ESPN The Game Nashville mobile app, and you can play Silly Underdog Picks with us. We have corralled Adam Vingan here at Pete and Terry's, not letting him put an alias in the box for the free tickets tonight for the Predator <laughs> Sharks. Uh, Adam, we caught you red-handed, but you did have your alias uh, prepared, I noticed. Yes, Smokey Aoli. That's that's my Smokey Aoli. Smokey Aoli. Smokey first name A middle initial Oli last name. Smokey Aoli. So if we if that name or something similar to it chases drawn out of the hat, we know we've got a problem. Yeah, we know that we will move past that name. We'll sell a rat. We'll smell a rat. I've got several first names. Anything with A anything that can be considered Aoli, it can be that first name. So spicy aioli, yeah, whatever. Smoky, I'm hungry, spicy. I'm hungry now with the smells well, here in Pete and Terry's. Well, I was about the... to say, fortunately, you're in. You're currently at an eating establishment, I so am. you could order some food if you so choose. Uh, Adam, the you were at the morning skate. Obviously, it was an optional skate, which is becoming more and more of a, a trend in the league. Uh, but you suspect maybe one change for the Predators tonight other than uh, Pecorino yes. going back in goal? It appears that uh, Matt Irwin will make his season debut this evening uh, on the third defense pair with Yannick Weber in place of Dan Hamhuis. So that appears to be the lone change. And, of course, there are a variety of factors that lead to goals for and goals against when you're on the ice. But the third pair of Dan Hamhuis and Yannick Weber were dinged for three of the Predators' five five-on-five goals against through two games. Um, and it could have been four if not for Dylan Larkin hitting the post on Saturday evening. It would have been four of six in that, in, in that, in that regard. So I figured, and I'm sure a lot of people figured, that the third pair would be a weakness of the team this year, as, Willie, you were saying. Yeah. During uh, the break, you know, how many teams look at their third pair as a strength necessarily? <laughs> I mean, the Predators did. You know, for a while. At I'm one sh- point, uh, they had Seth Jones playing right. the third pair. They right? had Seth Jones as a fifth defenseman <laughs> at one point. So now he's a Norris Trophy finalist probably every year from now on through the rest of his career, or at least a candidate for being a Norris Trophy finalist. Um, but uh, with Dante Fabro graduating to top four duty uh, with the departure of P.K. Subban, you know, that, that third pair, whether it's Dan Hughes, Yannick Weber, Matt Irwin, you know, anyone that had an opportunity to play that pair, during the preseason, Jared Tenorti, Alex Carrier, whoever you want to mention, uh, if they get recalled from Milwaukee at some point. Um, you know, that's a pair that you're going to expect a drop-off and play from just because of the caliber of defensemen above them in the lineup. And you're not going to ask a lot of them. They're not going to get a lot of ice time. You're just hoping for competent play. Yeah, you want steady play. Yeah, um, and through two games, it's been a little iffy, uh, so why not shake it up? Matt Irwin once was a member of the Sharks, it, it, but I, I do feel like there is going to be competition. Yes. There is going to be a bar that is set for those guys. And uh, I, I think at some point, it may not be this week or next week, but you know, I think they feel good about some of the guys coming up through uh, the system, whether that be a younger player like Jeremy Davies or a veteran player like Jared Tenorti or even a guy like Santini. Uh, I think there are options there with the idea that you know, let's create some competition 
to get what they need out of that. Yeah, and you know, one idea if the third pair continues to be an issue is if you want to spread the defensive wealth a little bit. Dan Hamhuis played with Matthias Ekholm in the first half of last season when PK Subban was out with injury for yeah. close to 20 games, um, and I thought they played pretty well as a pair. Um, so if you want to put Dante Fabro on the quote unquote third pair to, as I meant, as I said, spread the, the wealth a little bit, you can do that. But I'm not sure they're necessarily keen on that because I think. I, I like what I've seen from Matias Ekholm and Dante Fabro yeah. through two games, so I'm not sure they're, you know, itching to to separate them. But I mean, between the players that are currently on the roster in third pairing situations and the players that, as we mentioned, are in Milwaukee who have uh, experience at the NHL level or haven't had their big break yet, um, there there is competition, and the Predators have the option of calling somebody up just because they're carrying 22 players, so they don't have to necessarily you know, make it a corresponding move to call somebody up, so that also helps them in that, in that issue, with that you, issue. You had some numbers through the first two games uh, on the forward lines, which look like they will be, for a third straight game, identical. Yes. Um, and we're not wh- numbering those lines. We're... Because well, we can. <laughs> Peter might not want to, but we can. And I like, I th- you I like could probably debate had. which one is which one is which, yes. right? But uh, the the usage, though, yes. uh, that that's you 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 can't argue over that, right? You right. you've noted where they're starting, whether it's offense or defense. And if you will, let's let's give you the backdrop here. Expected goal percentage. Yes. What would be the easiest way for you to describe? <laughs> I was just having this. Goal per se. I was just yeah. having this conversation with Austin Watson, who thinks the whole thing is a, who, who, th- who thinks the whole thing is a crock. But I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give well, it. Well, these shot. numbers, the precursors, the numbers are good. Yes, I'll give it a right shot. Now, so. so expected goal, expected goal percentage. If I'm explaining this correctly, is no the the percentage. So you have actual goal percentage, the number of goals scored versus the number yeah. of goals against. Whatever's the actual on, results, which yes. the only thing that counts in the standings are yes. these results. And right? What's on the scoreboard. Expected goals is an algorithm that detects that includes quality. So in terms, so expected goal percentage is based on the quality of chances that a team is creating and giving up. So yeah. if a so a, for example, if a if a if a line has an actual goal percentage of sixty percent, which means they're scoring what three fifths of the goals when they're on when they're on the ice, and their expected goal percentage is. 80 yeah. percent which means that based on the quality that they're getting and giving up they should really be scoring four-fifths of the goals on the ice versus three-fifths so they'd be underperforming in that regard right so that's basically the gist of it from my my terrible math explaining <laughs> right so so let's let's try to simplify no it yes right and let's just put a basketball reference right and expected field goal percentage right yes. if steph curry is shooting a wide open three Every time he shoots the ball, you would expect that he will hit a very high percentage. Right. But on a given night, he may not make as many as you think he's going to make. And by the same token, if he is getting, if he's shooting the entire night with a big time contested shot, a step or two behind the line, you would not expect his field goal percentage to be as high. But on a given night, he might hit the right. toughest shot that you can imagine. So it's, it's there's a little bit of that, but it's basically. What should happen based on the quality that you're getting? What are you getting offensively, and what are you giving up? So, with that in the backdrop, what are the numbers so far for, for the Predators? Well, you have them up. I don't have them up. Okay, so, so you tell me. All right, so uh, 
the Forsberg Duchesne Grand Line. This is going to pass the eye test. They're getting almost seventy five percent of the expected goal percentage. Right. In other so, words, they are they're they're doing good things when they're on the ice, right. and they're getting the results to go with. Right. It. So basically, you know, based on the quality of chances that they're generating versus the quality of chances that are being generated by the opposition when they're on the ice, you know, they should be they should be controlling seventy five percent of the goals when they're on the ice. And that and and I don't have their actual goal percentage in front of me. It's also, I think, fairly high. Um, but it, it speaks to what you're seeing, as Willie was saying, it speaks to what you're seeing on the ice, which is that line is doing a whole lot to generate some good chances. So that's just sort of that's basically what it says is that you you've seen that line through two games. They've looked really good in the offensive zone and that sort of confirms so that confirms that. And Almost identical are the numbers of Ryan Johansson's line. And what's interesting to me is that that line hasn't popped to me. The Johansson, Smith, and Arvidsson line hasn't popped. In the eye test. At, at, in the yeah. eye test. Has not popped to me the same way that the Duchesne line has. I feel like the Duchesne line with Granlin and Forsberg has j- developed chemistry quicker than Smith, Johansson, and Arvidsson. And there's no real algorithm for that. It's just right. based on... You but know, that's what a coach has to balance, right? right? That yeah. eye test versus what the numbers are telling. Right. So I mean, I, I think that you they know, produce though they they have. I mean, I think they've. I like the idea of Craig Smith on that line, but you know, he's playing his off wing for the first time, and he's playing with two guys that have a lot of experience playing together. So you know, it, there is an adjustment there. It seems Forsberg has taken to his new line mates quicker than Craig Craig has, but it's still only two games. Um, so. When when I look at when I look at that line, I, I mean, when one of the other things I tracked as well is this. This is easy to explain: the ice time of each line, five on five through two games, and there seems to be a hierarchy emerging with the Duchesne line, number one, followed by the Johansson line, followed by the Benino line, and then followed by the Turris line. So, if you're numbering the lines based on ice time, it would be Duchesne one, Johansson two, Benino three, Turris four. Um, but one thing you have to keep in mind situationally is Johansson and Arvidsson kill penalties. So yeah. that that kind of and for excuse me, Duchesne and Granlin do not. So that sort of eats into that ice time because they've got to come off the ice. They might put that Duchesne line right back on at the end of the penalty to give Johansson and Arvidsson a breather before they go back out. Mm-hmm. So with that caveat in mind, it appears that if you're looking to number the lines through two games, the Duchesne line based on ice time is the top line, quote unquote. Yeah, and I you know, you were talking about competition earlier. I I think it is a little bit of a friendly competition between those two lines right now because and that's what we want to see because they they're trying to generate more of that secondary scoring as we heard so much last year, but having Forsberg split from from Johansson and Arvidsson putting him with Duchesne, that's created more opportunity and then Granlin is playing his game and then also the what is it? The Josa line now <laughs> is that what we're calling it that with doesn't Johansson bring, Smith roll and Arvidsson. off the tongue as We'll have to come up with something else, I'm sure. You know, the 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 one line that's been interesting to me is the, is is Kyle Turris's line because yeah. that line I thought was really good on Saturday night, and the numbers back. I think that it's up. the best game Turris has played in a long time. Yeah, I, I really I have actually been quite impressed with Kyle through two games. I mean, we spent all we spent all summer wondering whether or not he was going to come back and and be able to contribute the way that he's known to do. Um, the one thing I'm curious about, though, is you know if for the third consecutive game he'll have Rocco Grimaldi and Callie Yarncroak on his wings. You know Kyle has done a lot to help generate offense. I think of that chance he had on Saturday night where he was on the right right boards with the cross ice pass to Yarncroak in the left circle. Yarncroak wasn't able to score on it, 
That was a really great pass by Kyle. I would like to see Kyle play with wingers if he's going to be at center. I would like to I would like to see Kyle play with some wingers that might have more some might have more finishing ability than the ones he has now. Based just based on the way the lines are, you know, there really aren't anybody. There really isn't anybody else for him to play with other than Rocco and Cali. But I would like to see you know I would like to see Daniel Carr get a shot in the next yeah. couple of games. It's an interesting thought because. Uh, I think there's competition, right? Yeah. There's if you're going to use that line the way they're using it, it's not a, a line that's going to rough and tumble. No, it's, right? a, it's, it's almost a line exclusively that, offensive line, right? It's, so it'll be an offensive line that you would say will be tough for the other team's fourth line to match up. Right. So they have favorable matchups. Yes, that's an and advantage, so they, for sure. if they can finish a little higher percentage, you got you really got something. There. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what I'm. You know, that line. I think I looked it up. They've started 11 of their 17 shifts in the first two games. In the uh, in the offensive zone, like they they're either starting in the offensive zone or the neutral zone. You're never going to start that tourist line in the defensive zone. Right. So they're not a line that you're going to rely on, you know, after you know for a defensive zone faceoff. But just like you said, Willie, with the fact that they're going to have favorable matchups just based on the, the offensive zone percentage, based on the fact that they're going to be playing third and fourth lines and third D pairs probably. You know, if you can find a player or two, or if Rocco and Cali can step up and, and have more finishing ability, that line can really take advantage of those opportunities. But through two games, um, you know, I would like—I would like—I haven't seen. I mean, they've had—they've been good in generating. I'd like to see some more finish. Adam, thanks a lot for stopping by. We will see you tonight. All right, and thanks, and uh, if Smokey Aoli stops by, let him know he's going to win those tickets. Okay, well, we we will. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the Peter Parker is never in the same place, or you know, Spider Man. Peter, we'll we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Mitch Light joins us from uh, here at Pete and Terry's Tavern here in just a moment as we move past the halfway point. Predators and Sharks tonight. Stay tuned. This is ESPN 102.5 The Game.